Hello, Corey. And you are? That's a very long and very complicated story. Honestly, I've got nothing pressing. Okay. A long time ago, I was known as Wesley Crusher. But now, I am a traveler of all of space and time. <laughs> You're kidding, right? The last time I told a joke, I inadvertently changed a century's worth of history. So I work really hard to not be misunderstood. That's a lot. You have no idea. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and join me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, awaiting the return of my long-lost salamander babies. <laughs> and we're here this week to give you all a sequel to an episode we recorded Almost at the very start of this podcast run, we're going to talk about Biggest WTF Moments Part 2. Tyler, for research for this episode, I actually went back and listened to that original episode, and what a trip that was. I, I listened to that one uh, a couple months ago as well. It is uh, <laughs> it is a bit of a different era for the podcast, but it was a lot of fun, uh, us just uh, talking about how much Star Trek uh, would kind of blow your mind, but not necessarily in great ways back in the day. Yeah, uh, it was just wild to hear the way that like the show has changed. The audio quality has improved greatly, I will say. <laughs> um, an absence by subtraction uh, in terms of uh, the hosting, right? That's right, yes. Fallen co-host Benjamin Young was present back in the day. That was, I think, one... Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I said absence by subtraction. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's addition by subtraction. Right. Um, clearly, this co-host's uh, brain cells haven't improved over the years. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, I think that was one episode before Ben Young walked away from the show. I, I think after he got the WTF moments in, um, that's all that he ever needed. Um, I, I think for him, what, was he the one who brought up uh, Dakot and Kai Wynn sleeping together? Yes, it was him, yes. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, so um, I think here, though, I, I mean... When when we recorded that episode, we had no such thing as like a new era Star Trek. The, no. the newest Star Trek we had was what? Uh, Into Darkness at that point. So yeah, we reference it in the episode too. We're like mentioning Into Darkness stuff. Yeah. So at this point, we've had, I don't know, what, like maybe 200 more adventures uh, within the Star Trek realm for us to pick yeah. through. But uh, maybe there might be some things from uh, days past that we missed in that first episode that we could bring up again. That would be a lot of fun. But um, I don't know. Why, why don't I kick it off here, Cam? Um, this, to me, w w was a distraction in a way that, that really defied the laws of physics. And I, I like to rationalize things that don't always make sense in Star Trek. You know, like when... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, when when flocks said tribbles were known to be quite prodigious, you know, yeah. before we ever got to see, you know, a, a tribble in the trouble with tribbles, right? You know, those are about 100 years apart. Yep. But then we get the trouble with Edward, that short trek that features tribbles, and they're not actually prodigious there. It's actually like genetic experimentation. 100 years after flocks made that comment, that actually made them prodigious. Mm -hmm. And uh, people are like, oh, that's a continuity error, blah, blah, blah. In my head, it's just like, I don't know. Maybe Flox was mistaken. Maybe he was wrong. Uh, people mistake and misspeak all the time. It, it, it's not that hard for me to wrap my head around. Here's something that I cannot wrap my head around, Cam. Um, the turbo lifts in uh, the new era of Star Trek, in which <laughs> you look at uh, the USS Discovery and the uh, USS enterprise 1701 and the turbo lifts operate in this completely empty space that uh jumps through air on the way to other parts of the ship as if no decks exist within the ship for them to flow through it's as if it's gone into um the quantum universe mm. and comes out on the other side to get there um it was probably at its most distracting in the season three finale 
of uh, season finale of season three of Star Trek Discovery, in yeah. which we had an entire action sequence uh, that was focused on Cowboy Man, as he's often referred to by <laughs> by me, and Book, in which uh, didn't Cowboy Man threaten Book's cat or something like that, and so Book had to shove him off a turbo lift, but from the outside as they were jumping between turbo lifts in this. Um, an empty shell of a starship, as it appeared that uh, the USS Discovery is in reality. How has Cowboy Man never shown up at a convention? That's just I... surprising to me. <laughs> Random um, aside. <laughs> yeah. He is like, I, I do remember, like, I, I like the actor. He was in, what was the, um, it was like the, I think it was called The Profiler, like way back okay. in the day, like an NBC yeah. procedural. And I believe he played the husband in oh. The Profiler. Okay. Um, but yes, to to your actual point, did you ever see the movie um, The Total Recall Remake? I did not. The one with Brian Cranston, right? And Colin Farrell. Yeah. Um, so that has a whole sequence in elevators that is just like what they did on Star Trek Discovery, where you're like, none of this makes any tangible sense. I don't know what they're doing. And I'm sure in the minds of the writers who were adapting Total Recall for that remake, that terrible remake, they were like, but it's futuristic. That's the way... You know, elevators could work in the future. That's kind of how I feel like they approached the turbo lift in Star Trek Discovery. Typically, when you had the turbo lift, it made recognizable sense. Yes, it had a futuristic element to it. But when you look at it, you're like, I understand what this is. I feel like with Discovery, they were like, oh, we're taking this to a point where it just blows your mind even to look at it. You can't comprehend mere 21st century person the way the uh, turbo lift works. And it comes across as very goofy. Well, the problem is it, it ruins whatever verisimilitude that you have going in when you're watching, you know, Star Trek. You know, like, you know, point to maybe the USS Enterprise D, and it seems almost kind of the most tangible, you know, kind of things work maybe a little clunkier than you'd expect now, you know, almost 40 years later. But you can buy the fact that they walk down these halls and they can get to an Arboretum or what have you. And I think there's even in the uh, Enterprise E, whenever you walked into a turbo lift there, they'd have like a screen running in the background that showed you kind of the path that their turbo lift was taking. It, it felt as if you were there. When I see it in like New Era Star Trek, I'm like, it, it feels as if I'm in some sort of magic land. It just like, it does not track and it takes me out of the moment. It, it's distracting to agree that, you know, uh, creators shouldn't wish it because... You know, the audiences just spend more time thinking about that than thinking about what actually matters on screen. Well, it feels like back in the, you know, whether it's, you know, Matt Jeffries back in like the original era or it's the TNG era onwards, like there was a real like thought process of how does this work? And I don't think that was the case with uh, the Discovery Turbo Lift. Okay. So, Cam, what is on your list here? Okay. So I wanted to like pick something from Picard season two. Because Picard season two, I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of Picard season two you could pick, you know, point your finger at as a WTF moment. But I was like trying to come up with like a moment or something that kind of represented my feelings on the whole season. And I decided on the episode two of one with Gerardi coming out to sing for an audience without a microphone and somehow projecting her voice to everyone. And, and the entire orchestra knew exactly what song she was about to sing as well. Yeah, yeah, that Shadow of the Night. It's a, it's a favorite, all right. Um, but, like, this scene, is it not only is it just, like, we have to have this actor singing for some reason. It's, like, the logical loopholes you have to, like, go through to explain this. Where they're like, well, uh, I mean, the Borg Queen thrives on, what was it? Endorphins. Adrenaline? Endorphins, thank you, yeah. Um doesn't everybody thrive off endorphins, though? <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, clearly the board queen requires these endorphins. So, like, what does that mean? That means that she needs to sing to get a spike in endorphins to keep the board queen going. And, I mean, let's be honest. This was all an excuse. Well, no, I, I don't think I don't think that's what it was, though. Wasn't it like that she was trying to, like, help cause, like, a distraction? It was a distraction, but the Borg Queen is also, like, thriving off the endorphins, too. Sure. Of her singing yeah. in front of a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. But but she didn't randomly start jumping into song and dance because the Borg Queen is like, I want endorphins right now. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. 
it was a, a an additional benefit from this very wacky scene that uh, you're trying to describe, but I keep interrupting you. No, no, but it's just like they just were so desperate, I think, to have Alison Pill sing. Yeah. That they just basically created this very convoluted situation. And I mean, I did consider the moment of her like eating car batteries, but because that was pretty crazy as well. But to me, the song is a moment where I literally had the WTF just like what is going on what am i watching on tv right now i thought i was watching like a sequel season to picard season one which did not have the level of like absolute insanity that season two had yeah um she i don't think she was eating car batteries though it was uh smartphone batteries was it not oh yeah yeah all right 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 yeah was this like remember when you used to think that kess ate ceramic pots in uh elogium Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. <laughs> Possibly. But wait a second. Wasn't she, like, hanging out in that car lot when they found her? Yeah. She wasn't going for the car batteries? <laughs> Tell me how that works. I have no idea. You're asking I, me how this works. How does no, the but, science of Picard Cam, season so, two work? <laughs> I, I have no... I, Cam, I have no recollection, and I could be wrong. I have no recollection of her popping the hoods of cars and lifting the batteries out and sucking on them, Cameron. I don't know what's going on in your imagination, but I'm pretty sure it was a moment in what she had uh, revealed like she was like sucking on like smartphone batteries. Fair enough. And she happened to be in like a parking lot. I think I was blurring the two because I remembered the parking lot scene and I feel like she was doing something when they walked into the parking lot scene. Cam, this is exactly like your um, confabulations when it comes to uh, women characters eating things that didn't really happen. Like um, Classic. Kes, Kes eating ceramic pots in Elogium uh, when in fact it was dirt in the pots. Sure. I think I was mixing that up with an episode of My Strange Addiction, okay. which was a thing. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. Look. The the. Uh, it took me out of the moment though. When I when, while I'm watching Allison Pill like do some song and dance, it was very poorly directed. And and this is an episode directed by one Jonathan Frakes. And it also what I, I'm sitting there, I sat there for much of season two of Picard, asking myself like, how does this further things? Like, what does this tell mm. us about the characters? How does this make me more engaged with the show? And it really gave me like you know, uh, theater kid vibes, you know, like, look at me sing, you know, that yeah. sort of stuff. And I, I know people are like, oh, man, actors are so cool. I love watching them in shows. Um, I, I think back to the theater kids back in my uh, high school, the, the ones that were really into it. I'm just like, eh, sometimes they're a little bit more uh, along the lines of the um, Sally Fields uh wins an Oscar award kind of vibe that uh, they're seeking a little bit too much validation here. Um, I don't know, Cam. I, I guess <laughs> I've never been so thankful for Isa Brionis's rendition of Blue Skies after <laughs> uh, witnessing uh, this scene uh, of Alison Pill being kind of uh, uh, compromised by the Borg Queen. Well, like, you know, you look at the TNG cast. That is a group of people who love to sing and dance, right? <laughs> like, we know they do. But I appreciated that when it came to TNG, they found ways to have organic character moments, whether it is Beverly teaching Data how to tap dance or Riker and his trombone. It never felt like they were trying to, like, shoehorn in a moment like that because the thing with the Allison Pill one is it doesn't even really make sense for the character we've spent time with for, like, a season and a half at that point. And... There's also all that stuff, as we've already cited, about, like, the band just magically knowing the song and there's no microphones. Like, all of it feels false. Yeah. I... I... <laughs> Stop describing season two of uh, Picard as a whole, Cam. <laughs> well, yeah, fair so. enough. Yeah. Um, I want to jump over to another one here. Uh, you know, stick into kind of this new era of Star Trek. Um, I, I don't want to just describe, like, uh, you know, like, maybe Star Trek that I have problems with. Let me describe a series that, that I, uh, I I do like, which is Star Trek Lower Decks. But uh, th this is a, a WTF moment of all the WTF moments, something I never thought to see happen in Star Trek, uh, in which there's an orgy sequence, in oh, which man. we have censored bars covering um, <laughs> one um, Bradward Boimler's butthole. And uh, full spread eagle for us there. Karen, and I was just like, I mean, I have no doubt that orgies have happened on starships. I can wrap my head around that. 
Uh, look, we had that naked Betazoid wedding in one of those Loxana Troy episodes. Yeah. They didn't need to use, like, sensor bars or anything like that. Um, but in this sequence, uh, I'm blanking on the episode, though, camera. I, I, I re- can't recall if uh, you know the name. Um, I am blanking, but uh, yeah. yeah. But I believe it was season three of Lower Decks, though. Um, that was one where, um, it, like, we, you know how we've always talked about, like, hey, we wish the sense of humor was a little bit more cutting you know, like a little bit less, you know, like uh, kind of huggy, like let's hug it out sort of stuff. And uh, let's be a little bit more vicious with the Star Trek universe. Um, this is among the the, the uh, darkest kind of um, sexuality uh, related moments. And not that there's anything wrong with, with, with uh, having a good old time with the crew, but um, how in your <laughs> face in many ways the uh, the orgy sequence was in this particular Lower Decks episode. So I Googled the episode, and it's yes. uh, from season two. It's I Excretus, uh, which I believe was towards the end of season two. Okay. Um, I think that's the one where Boimler is um, trying to do the Borg test over and over again. Okay. Uh, to the best of my memory. I may be wrong about that part, but I think I'm right. Uh, but it's funny when I Googled, because I just Googled Orgy Lower Decks scene, and the top hit is the YouTube clip. And it says Star Trek Lower Decks sinks to new low with orgy scene. <laughs> second second hit is slash film. How the most controversial scene in Lower Decks fits into the world of Star Trek. So clearly people had very strong opinions about that orgy scene. And what I find interesting about it is I remember laughing when I saw it. Like, <laughs> like they definitely took it as far as they could go um, on Lower Decks. But it feels like the show has retreated from that kind of material a little more yeah. so in season four. Like, we didn't really have anything like that. Uh, it didn't feel like they were pushing it as far. I guess you had a little bit of um, Shaxx and Ta'ana kind of suggestive stuff on the holodeck, but not to the same degree. And by retreating from that sort of material in season four, uh, you mean funny, right? <laughs> oh, that's cold. Cold. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, season four, it, it was fine. <laughs> As we said throughout, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just felt like they retreated a little bit from some of the extreme stuff because uh, it's not one of my picks, but you could even throw in the uh, Mugatu love scene as well in season two. Which is pretty awesome. But that one didn't make me go, you know, WTF the same way that this orgy one did. Like the orgy sure. thing was just very, uh, quite, it was more explicit than I've ever seen something in Star Trek. Like, when it came to like references to say uh, the hollow sweets and corks bar, it is a lot more implicit. I, I remember there was this one sequence in which uh, Jake Sisko as like a 12 year old pops into corks bar and starts walking up the stairs towards the hollow suite. And Odo walks up to cork at the bar and says, you're not actually letting the, the commander's son go up there. Are you? And he's like, nah, <laughs> he's just watching this thing called this human game called baseball. And it, was, it yeah. is more of like those kinds of implicit things versus um, something so explicit like this. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I wonder if Lower Decks will go back to this sort of thing. Just the fact there was nothing really like it in season four makes me think they, I don't know, the fact that there was those two hits that I just read off the top, maybe they were like, oh, that is going a little too far for what we want to do on Star Trek. But I, I kind of liked when they were taking wild swings and potentially offending people. Yeah, I'd rather folks try to be dangerous than just try to be vanilla. You know, like, oh, yeah. we, we mustn't offend anybody in a comedy series. Exactly. Yeah. And I have a moment now from New Trek as well that is a positive one. One that we loved in the room, but did kind of blow our minds. And that was at a time when we were watching Star Trek Discovery, we were excited week to week. What could happen on Discovery? We didn't feel like we were burnt out at that point by the burn. Um, and this is in the episode, If Memory Serves. It was you, myself, and my sister Janine in the room. We were going to review that episode. And the previously on popped on with the footage from The Cage with the Sonequa Martin-Green previously on Star Trek. That was one of the most fun, just like mind-blowing creative moments, I think, in Star Trek Discovery. And the writers, or not so much the writers, but like the people that put that together should be so proud of themselves because I thought it was clever, it was fun, it honored the history of Star Trek, but it also completely caught you off guard. What makes it a WTF moment in kind of the the same way we've been talking about other WTF moments so far? 
I think it is the fact that it completely feels like it comes out of left field. It's something mm -hmm. you would never, ever, ever predict. And you do spend a moment being like, what am I watching? Like, what happened? Like, it felt, it almost took us a second to adjust to it, I think. It was interesting because if you look at um, Discovery, it's very monolithic in its tone. Mm -hmm. Whereas the opener here for If Memory Serves, it was very... Uh, <laughs> much lighter on its feet as well so yeah definitely a big shift in tone uh from what you would typically expect in star trek discovery mm -hmm. oh yeah and i wish that the show had been a little more playful going forward like i feel like they didn't pick up some of the lessons that really worked in that season and they would have their quote-unquote fun moments in season three and four but they weren't particularly fun it was like them just trying to be wacky well, it's just like, it seems as if like the start of every season, or at least seasons two and four, they're like, you know what? We're going to make Discovery fun again. And then it just inevitably like falls back into being like misery porn by yeah. the, well, by episode three or four, you know? So it was just interesting that in season two, we did, I think this is what, like up around seven, episode seven or eight, I, I think. think it's eight. So, yeah. So it comes in around the halfway mark of that season which I believe was the longest season we've ever had of uh, Star Trek Discovery. And it is interesting in which, yet again, all we're hearing is that uh, they want to play up kind of the fun and adventurous parts of Star Trek when it comes to the fifth and final season of Star Trek Discovery. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, we, we've kind of gone into reset mode again and again and again with Discovery. Um, I suspect they're going to try to keep that more consistent going into that season but i also suspect that cam there's going to be some misery going on in season five there is going to be a moment that really tests burnham to her core i guarantee it yeah um okay i'm gonna jump over to a star trek short trek and um this is like we all like Captain Pike, right? Uh, especially uh, like what what a great leader he is. But um, <laughs> this idea in the episode uh, "Ask Not" to convince oh, yeah. a cadet that her husband's dead and she's got to make some hard decisions, and then you get to the end of the short trek and it reveals like, don't worry, this is just a test. Your husband's not really actually dead here. Um, this is sociopathic in nature. This, to me, is a total... This cadet is walking out of there literally saying, like, what the F in this very yeah. moment. And I, I remember our reaction to this is like, okay, I mean, this is an interesting 12 minutes, but um, is Captain Pike literally on a scale of sociopathy at this point? This feels like... <sighs> the character of Pike felt pretty hammered down in some ways, on Discovery Season 2, but the journey from him moving from that season through these short treks into Strange New Worlds, it really feels like once they got to Strange New Worlds, they 100% cracked who they wanted that character to be. I just can't imagine the Pike we've now spent two seasons with behaving the way he does in this particular short trek. I just think it would be so out of character. Hey, uh, number one, uh, come to my quarters. <laughs> I'm going to cook dinner for you. Oh, oh no, I'm chopping... <laughs> I'm chopping carrots. My fingers are gone. What can, can you help me out? Don't worry. That was just a test. My fingers are still here. Like that, that would be the equivalent at this point in his development as a character. Like he's very supportive dad on the show and what he's doing in ask not just, is there another Star Trek captain you could imagine doing this? I mean, I, I guess the closest would be Cisco, but like, yeah. what does Cisco have to gain by spending any time with the cadet? You know, <laughs> literally the only time we ever saw him with a cadet was when uh, Nog was at the helm of the Defiant. Yeah. Actually, no, Nog was like a uh, a field commissioned ensign by that point, I believe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It kind of flies in the face of, we did an episode sometime back about like, I think we called it like, let that captain be my guide. And it was all about captains as mentors. And that's something I think the really good captains on Star Trek, that they just have that mentorship quality that you want to have them as your leader. And a moment like this, I go, I don't know that I want to serve under Pike. Um, I'm sure that cadet knew she didn't want to serve under Pike moving <laughs> forward either. Is that why she isn't on <laughs> Strange New Worlds? I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe it just means she failed Pike's test ultimately. Mm. Like, hey, can't you take a joke? 
<laughs> she was like, yeah, yeah. I- I'm going to maybe uh, go work in a restaurant or something. Seems nicer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Cisco is down on Earth. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so my next one, I'm going to do a DS9 episode. And it's the episode Crossover. And I remember this kind of blowing my mind when I watched it. And it was the moment that Odo exploded. <laughs> because, like, I was used to a world where, like, when you go to the Mirror Universe, it's fun. You're seeing your favorite characters pop up, behave like pirates for an hour. And it's all kind of danger-free. It's more kind of like fun camp that you get to watch the actors have fun in. And when Odo exploded, I just was like, what? Like, what? What? And it really did, I think, set the tone for what DS9 Mirror Universe episodes would be, where there would be genuine consequences to things happening. Like, we saw a lot of DS9 characters die over the course of the run of the series, but that moment when Odo bit it in the first one in Crossover, I was just stunned. I'll tell you what really makes it a WTF moment for me, though. Um, Because I actually didn't catch that episode on first run. I didn't catch it until it actually went into syndication. And all the promos for syndication featured, like, uh, a two-second clip of Odo blowing up like that. (laughs) And I had no idea what that meant or what happened or what episode I had missed. I was very, very, very confused there. And so uh, whenever those commercials for the newly syndicated episodes of uh, Deep Space Nine were coming on, uh, that's what gave me uh, those uh, WTF moments there. Right. Okay. That's great. (laughs) That's amazing. But yeah, like, I mean, I just, I remember, I have such vivid memories of watching that episode in contrast to a lot of the other episodes around that time period. Like, I don't remember watching a lot of episode, you know, episodes from season one or two of DS9, but that moment really does stick with me and just how, like, completely baffled I was. Uh, Speaking of violent moments in Star Trek cam, you know, uh, in the words of Jonathan Frakes, you know, this is a different episode uh, I'm speaking of here. But uh, remember we were at a convention and uh, somebody had complained about some of the violence featured in Picard. And Frakes was like, we're here to shock you, which is yeah. not something I ever go to Star Trek for. But um, season two, <laughs> early season two of Star Trek Discovery, um, for whatever reason, they decided to depict uh, a decapitated head of an infant. <laughs> It's on my list. Yep. Point well, of light. Just, I, I, I'm like, um, of course, this is they're <laughs> trying to make you think that the love child of Laurel and Voke slash Ash Tyler is dead. Like they want the Klingons to think that, but they also want the audiences to think that. So uh, for a, a good chunk of time, the audiences see what they don't know to be a synthetic baby's head. Yeah. And yet they use Hollywood makeup and special uh, or not special effects, but like, uh, you know, like like those practical effects to create a very vivid, lifelike, decapitated head of an (laughs) infant like like this is deranged. It's not even like like I didn't sign up to watch The Walking Dead or anything like that. If you sign up to watch The Walking Dead. Yeah, sure. You might get this sort of stuff. I signed up to watch Star Trek. And like, this is just like, to me, it's just kind of like whoever's doing this is a little like kind of sick in the mind, but not in that kind of fun, sort of like Robert Englund kind of way, you know, Mm. like, it's like truly like, uh, how desperate are you to get noticed? Like, uh, in, in, or make some sort of name for yourself. If this is what you think is like, um, (laughs) this is what viewers want to (laughs) see. It's funny because like, I do remember that moment so vividly. Yeah. As I said, it was on my list and it's amazing that, like, it shocked me so much in an episode that also revealed that, like, a Klingon had listening devices in his makeup. Because it's kind of like his war the paint. rules. His war paint. <laughs> in his war paint. Yeah, yeah. The rules are out the window at this point. Like, insane things are happening. But it was like they found a way to completely top themselves in the insane category when that happened. And I just... I remember being so confused as to kind of what show I was watching, but also, like, really contemplating... Like, is this what Star Trek is now? Because there have been definitely, like, moments along the way, like the weird, like, deflated bodies in, like, episode three of the first season. There have been some, like, gore and weird kind of Klingon sex stuff going on in season one. But I remember that moment was... I don't know that they ever went more extreme than that 
on Star Trek Discovery. Like having that decapitated baby's head. Yes, it was proven to be fake later, but in the moment, you don't know that. And it was so shocking that it really left me like thinking like, like what won't they do on this show at this point? What is not off the table for Star Trek? They, they look, people often confuse, you know, um, like they don't quite understand the difference between what's being depicted in yeah. film or television versus how something is being depicted. Mm-hmm. And um, they didn't have to depict this particular sequence of events in the way that they did. You yeah. could have had, you know, uh, Laurel and Ash Tyler say in front of the audience, hey, here's our plan to fool the Empire. Yeah. Instead, they chose to, you know, keep us shocked, you know, do that shock value thing. Why? Like, what's the point of that? Also, they didn't have to actually show us the decapitated baby head. Mm-hmm. They could have had something happen off screen. Or they sh- could have showed, like, uh, Laurel lifting something that we can't quite discern. Instead, yeah. they wanted to be as explicit as possible. And it's like, and the question I often ask when I'm watching Discovery is like, why? Like, w- like w- why are you doing this? And for the life of me, I, I-, I can't really... Like I like to kind of do some like brain math in my head. In this instance, I'm just like, well, it's just shock value. It, it's 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 cheap. It's hacky, and and that is why it's one of my biggest WTF moments here in this new era of Star Trek. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it in some ways it did open the door for what we would see with like the Echeb stuff on Picard season one, um, and just like the new shows, particularly Picard and Discovery's attitude towards, like, violence, where you would have, you know, people killed on screen. And, like, Star Trek traditionally is a show that does not, like, glorify violence. Like, it may have violent moments, but it's about recognizing, like, this isn't a good thing, but they will often depict it in a way where it is made to look cool for the audience and then have a character say, oh, that's not good. But the way that the filmmakers have chosen to show it to the audience is a way that is very sensationalized and glamorized in a way that, you know, when you go to see a John Wick movie, you know you're going to get, like, flashy gun kata kind of stuff. But, like, Star Trek tries to kind of, like, give you that really, like, like stylized violence, but then also tell you, you shouldn't be enjoying this. No, well, it, it's it, it, it's fetishized violence yeah. as well. You know, just I yeah. think back to some of the stuff in the Mirror Universe in Discovery Season 1, you know, where you've got like Giorgio like really sucking down those uh tendrils from uh the uh Kelpian like slaves on yeah. the ship that were murdered <laughs> to become food. And it's just like like okay, you know, like it, you're fetishizing violence in those situations and it's just like is this really why people are like like it seems as if there's so many fans of Star Trek on the writing staff but i'm just like mm. what happened to their brains when they walked through the uh the doors of that writer's room where they would think like yeah this is this is what i want to do when it comes to my tenure here in the star trek universe <laughs> and you know taking it back to the baby head you just think of like how many steps that had to go through like how many rewrites of that script how many moments when they're like building the like little tiny baby head like at no point was anyone like you know this is kind of weird of us to be doing. <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, there's got to be somebody in like the, uh, one of the uh, kind of creative like production houses, you know, like the ones in charge of making these like fake baby heads saying yeah. like, okay, I'm sure we've got to do this, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be portrayed in a very tasteful way. Um, uh, it was not. No, no, no. Um, Maybe on the lighter side of things, I had a moment that is a positive, but definitely left me momentarily baffled, which was in the episode Subspace Rhapsody, the musical episode, an episode I thought was so much fun in Strange New Worlds in the last season we watched. And it was the big Klingon (laughs) uh, musical number (laughs) moment. And like the tone of that episode, I was so into like it was all clicking and I remember the first time I saw this Klingon moment where it's sort of like, um, you know, like a uh, a boy band kind of moment. It was kind of K-pop. 
K-pop, yeah, yeah. And I remember it was like, oh. Like, it really felt jarring to me. And it wasn't until, I think, the rewatch that I could kind of make peace with it. But in that moment, it was a real, like, oh, oh, I, I don't know. Like, this is too far. Like, I don't know what this is. And I think part of it is because they are really playing with your expectations. I think a lot of simpletons like myself are sitting there watching this episode. And when they are going to cut to the Klingons, heavy metal, right? Or something along the lines of that. Because you think of the Klingons and maybe all the years of seeing, you know, <laughs> actors who played Klingons in makeup playing like rock music in Las Vegas has kind of warped my brain. But it, when they hit me with that, um, you know, K-pop kind of spoof, it was a moment of like, what the, what am I watching? Um, I was not at any of the events in which uh, Robert O'Reilly and J.G. Hertzler were on stage playing rock music. Uh, yeah. are, do you mean the, the karaoke nights? Yeah, the carry. Well, I mean, like more that they're, you know, they're usually playing like air guitar and like yelling. You know what I mean? Like they're not actually playing like metal music. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In that case, Cam, then I am the greatest air guitarist. Uh, I exceed <laughs> Jimmy Page in terms of my uh, technique uh, there. Oh, For me, enough. it was like I, I, I kind of was very polarizing. For me personally, I loved it, but I know a lot of folks out there did not love it yeah like they just absolutely hated it so uh for me it totally worked it was not necessarily a wtf moment for me because it almost seemed as if they had been building up kind of let how wacky can we get throughout this entire episode and mm -hmm. for me this is just kind of a natural progression but i totally understand why it was so off-putting to a lot of audience members there where this this like a a, a decapitated infant head might be just a, a step too far. It is funny, though, like you have this episode where there's a lot of like over the top musical moments throughout Subspace Rhapsody. And it's funny how like they all felt to at least a segment of the audience like, yep, this holds true. This holds true. I, this is all working for me. And that one Klingon moment was the one where it broke people for just a split second. Cam, I, I know this has to be on your list, but uh, I'm just going to jump over there. But uh, let's go back to the big revelation of season three of discovery <laughs> in which we find out the cause of the burn in yeah. which a radioactive man child threw a temper tantrum 150 years ago and destroyed life as we know it in the milky way galaxy in a single instance <laughs> uh causing the death of trillions of people and the fall of the federation all because one sukal realized his mom very tragically had passed away yeah, And he could not deal with that emotionally. And so he grew up into somebody who uh, suffered from arrested development. And yet it just it, it, a very off-putting performance by Bill Irwin, who's an actor I otherwise like. Yeah. And it also made me angry that this is what the writers chose to do. Because we, we've talked about it before. If you're going to have kind of a mystery box going on, at least there are clues. There are connections you can make as to what they're building up to and there's some sort of logical progression what's going on there's no way that there are any clues set out throughout the course of the season and when she would guess that the cause of the burn was because a kelpian got radioactive and cried because of the death of his mom you know and it was just like yeah this pissed me off so much that it, it's just not like okay that's what the solution to the mystery is um, it pissed me off that the Federation and trillions of people, like, <laughs> succumbed to this. You know, like, the writers did not have to choose this as a reason why maybe the Federation had crumbled. It could have been just normal melees that happens. It, it could have been internal dissent or something. That, to me, is far more interesting than, I don't know, is this supposed to be some sort of... Um, analog for climate change or like i don't know i'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here but i just i think it's inexcusable that sukal was the cause of the burn i mean yeah this is like one of the all-time big ones for me and the fact that it's such a funeral dirge of an episode to get to that revelation is like that much more unforgivable because i can look at say like that one we talked about with the klingon baby head point of light um there's a lot of wacky stuff in that episode that keeps my attention, but like the Sukal one is so dull that, uh, yeah, when you get to that reveal, you're just like, you're just angry at that point. And it's like you said, like, there's no clues leading to this. You have the character of Burnham obsessed with the burn throughout that entire season. How do I undo the burn? How do I undo the burn? Like, 
I feel like in a decent story, you want to have the source of the burn, something that means something emotionally to Burnham, because clearly she's the character so driven to stop it. And ultimately, it just feels like the writers went for kind of like a rug pull, and they wanted to, I think, fall back on the trope of like the child god thing in Star Trek, which there's many examples of. You know, you can go all the way back to Charlie X, but there's been many of them along the way. And that's fine if you want to do that in a story, but like to build an entire season around this and just hammer the head, uh, the audience over the head with constant like, what's the burn? What's What caused the burn? There is no way any person could ever jump from, you know, like the con- to the conclusion as to what it actually was. Like, it feels like, you remember uh, season one, there was all the Reddit stuff that got spoiled with uh, Lorca and the Ash Tyler twist. It felt like in season three, when it came to the burn, they were like, let's come up with something that no sane human being could ever come up with. But and that's also kind of what annoys me is as well, because like you're, you're then it means that you're making creative decisions based on what a couple thousand people on Reddit might be able to like crowdsource out. Yeah. You're making, you're making a show for millions of people. Um, and it, it, it's kind of like, like who cares if like, maybe there's a couple thousand people that maybe figure out your twist ahead of time it's it, it just to me it just seems like such a creatively compromised decision and it's also just very arbitrary it was completely arbitrary and i don't know the, the only way i can kind of rationalize it is because almost if I, I think it's a great idea let's jump a thousand years in the future and the federation isn't quite what it was mm-hmm. and i wonder if they went with this explanation because the alternative is as i say maybe it just crumbled because of melees or internal dissent but I think they want to say, no, 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 the Federation is perfect. It was only external factors that ruined right. it. You know, and I, I that's the only way I can rationalize this, but it doesn't make it a very good explanation. It it still is quite arbitrary. And, and guess what? The, the writers could have been a little bit more clever if, you know, folks were going to go a thousand years into the future. Maybe they could have done something completely different. You know, maybe the Federation, um, it hasn't crumbled, but maybe it's not quite the same Federation as we recalled. I also like how um, Burnham the Messiah was the only one in 150 years capable of figuring out exactly what happened. (laughs) And it feels like they sensed that maybe this didn't work because you ended that season with um, Saru deciding to go be like a mentor to Sakal. And it felt like they were trying to commit to something with that character. And then you cut to like season uh, season four at the start of it. And Saru's like, well, see you later, Sakal. You're doing well. Catch you on the flip side. It just felt like I think they wanted to perhaps do a little bit more with Sukal, like use right. him in some sort of way on the show. I don't think he was going to become like a crew member. I don't think he was going to be, you know, <laughs> <Could> man- <laughs> manning engineering or anything like that. But I I think they wanted to have that relationship with Saru and have that impact the show in some way. And I I almost feel like they kind of were almost a little embarrassed and just kind of like scuttled it off to the side by the time they got to the next season. It would have been great. You know how uh, Lieutenant Bryce had to depart like halfway through season four because the actor got like a starring role on a uh, CBC series? Um, It would have been great if uh, Sukal came in as a cadet to sub in for Bryce at that moment. (laughs) That would be amazing. And then Owashikin still had to look down the hallway and say, I love you. Yeah. All right. Was that season three? Uh, that, oh, I can't even keep it straight. I think that might have been, uh, maybe the end of season three. She had to get to the nacelles, but only she could breathe with that little oxygen. I think it was season three be- because, uh, it's cowboy, right? And like, uh, Osira. Yeah. Cause yeah. Yeah. The Orions had taken over the ship. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Sukal, you got lucky. Um, <laughs> Washington didn't tell you that I love you to all of the bridge crew. <laughs> and, you know, we were just talking a moment ago about how, like, season one, a lot of those twists were spoiled by Reddit. Normally, I don't tend to think, like, filmmakers pay that much attention to, like, you know, fan response and like really steer the ship depending on what fans are saying or theorizing on Reddit. It's kind of, it shows the level of confidence the show was operating at that they were kind of pivoting based on fan reaction. And by the amount of confidence, you mean very little? (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, but don't you think like fan reaction, 
the fact that like almost every season they come back and say like yeah we're gonna be fun yeah and it means that they know that like at a certain point you're just becoming a miserable show and it's like but i also wonder how much of that feedback is coming from like the suits who are like um yeah i don't know if having all our main characters being emotionally tortured for you know like 10 to 12 hours at a time is really what is going to draw audiences in yeah no that's very true and i also wonder too with like the success of strange new worlds as well that they're like boy people really love this fun (laughs) star trek we're getting buzz we are being featured in magazines again and uh you know websites and things like that like maybe we need to get back to that as opposed to kind of the sad trek yeah sad trek uh (laughs) so you know what? That is actually a perfect setup for my next one, which is actually a classic Star Trek episode. It's Future Imperfect with the alien boy reveal at the end of that episode. You already have many moments where I'm going like, like, Minuet? Like, what is this? You have, at one point, Riker's imaginary son dressed as, like, an Argento horror character sneaking up on him. So, like, the episode is constantly hitting me with moments that just are have me completely baffled. The reveal of the alien boy at the end who's created this entire fictional reality for Riker is the type of twist that I think 100% works, unlike the uh, the, the um, Sukal one, but is also so crazy. Like, there's that episode Frame of the Mind with Riker. No, no, Frame of Mind. Frame of Mind, thank you. Um, in like a psych ward where he feels like he's losing his mind. I've never been a huge fan of that episode. It's not one that I particularly go back to a lot. I feel like Future Imperfect nailed that scenario far better where I felt constantly confused as to what I was watching and realigning what I thought this entire story was. I predicted from the start that it was going to be the uh, the resuscitated corpse from Alien Autopsy that was uh, behind <laughs> this. You know, I, I knew that moment one camp. I don't know about you. That's, you know, that's just me. Uh, yeah. Like, just a perfect crazy reveal. Uh I don't know about perfect reveals here, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm thinking about like uh, in the episode farewell of Picard season two, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, this is the season two finale. There's a lot that went on, Cam. There was a lot that went on that season, but um, mm. you have Wesley Crusher randomly appear and approach like uh, uh well it, it was the isa brionis's character who it was her name at this point of the series like she had corey corey yeah corey um and he explains to her like i am a special man i am there to repair the galaxy it is a strong galaxy but it's a delicate galaxy too and i need help and you you 18 month old clone you i need you <laughs> to come with me and i'm like why like what wesley like here's the thing in concept i can understand wanting to bring wesley back this is just a a fan service moment doesn't actually serve the season or the story that was being told throughout the season in any sort of way it felt last minute to me well it felt like something they had shoehorned in they're like uh we like uh we we like uh will wheaton um yeah let's let's put him in at the very end of the episode sure why not um yeah but it just it doesn't track at all. And, and here's the other thing: I, I thought Will Wheaton's performance was terrible in this. You know, like, oh, yeah. and I am a uh, Wesley Crusher apologist here. I, I you know, I, I feel bad <laughs> for uh, a, a lot of the material he was given over the years, but I don't think Will Wheaton elevated this particular material. Which I don't like. I, I can understand why the writers were like, okay, well, Wesley's a traveler now. Okay, we mm. explain what travelers are up to. Okay. But Will Wheaton's performance here just was so off-putting that I just sat there going like, oh, man, this guy's been gone for 30 years, and this is how they bring him back. Uh, th- this, to me, was a total WTF moment in a season filled with uh, pro- probably more WTF moments than any other season of Star Trek. It's inexplicable. Like, I feel like in the original scripts, and I have no way of proving this, like, Corey just got her freedom and wandered off. And maybe there was a shot of her on the streets at the end or something like that. Uh, kind of like an upbeat moment. Uh, I thought you were going to say, like, injecting heroin. <laughs> oh, God. That's very dark. You said she was on the streets. <laughs> no, it wouldn't it be the snake weed? I think that's the Picard oh, okay. drug, right? Well, it's why yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Guinan was all about uh, about social social justice in the uh, 21st century. So 
No, I thought there might be like an upbeat shot of Corey just, you know, among people at the end of the the season. Or she something. has no money. She ha- <laughs> she has no social security number to find a job, Cam. That is true. That is very true. But this whole Will Wheaton moment just I feel like it was a fever dream. Like, I just was so confused because not only did they invent this reason for Wesley to recruit Corey, I'm still vague as to exactly what makes her so special, but um, the fact that he then also had to be like, oh, and um, by the way, uh, I'm a traveler, and travelers also, like, look over, like, the visitors or whatever they were called, the supervisors, yeah. uh, who've also been hanging out this season for reasons that I'm not particularly sure of. The way they were like using this very clunky exposition to kind of patch over this various, you know, Trek canon they'd wedged into a season was so strange. And I've, it really did feel like a Band-Aid to me that just makes no sense. I found some interesting quotes uh, okay. <laughs> from, from this. Um, stay with me, let, and you can cut me off if you're bored out of your mind here. But um, uh, <laughs> no, I won't be if it's about this okay. moment. Corey, and you are. That's a very long and very complicated story. Corey, <laughs> honestly, I've got nothing pressing. <laughs> <laughs> Wesley, uh, the eloquent Star Trek dialogue. <laughs> Listen to it pour out. <laughs> Okay, a long time ago, I was known as Wesley Crusher, but now I am a traveler of all space and time. <laughs> I mean, this is not great dialogue, but it's like, it, it's not as if, like, Will Wheaton was able to elevate bad dialogue. And, and we know that one Patrick Stewart um, was able to, ba- like, elevate bad dialogue, at least in all the early seasons of Next Gen. This is just one of those in- oh, instances yeah. where I, y- you couldn't do it here. Look at that moment. Go back, people. To the episode, uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's the second Q episode of TNG. It's in season, I think it's Hiding Q in season one. And there's that moment where Tasha Yar is stuck in the penalty box. And (laughs) watch Patrick Stewart act opposite her in that scene. It is one of the most ridiculous, absurd scenes I've ever seen in Star Trek. And Patrick Stewart is almost pulling it off. He almost has you convinced that this is dramatically interesting. Uh, I remember, didn't we like recite some of that dialogue uh, at, at one point, Cam, on the show? I think we did all of it, yeah. <laughs> we like reciting really bad dialogue, like uh, from uh, Sub Rosa as well. Yeah, uh, we did Sub Rosa. I think there was another one too, but uh, yeah, like that, maybe we should like at the end of the year record like a uh, back and forth of the Corey and Wesley moment because okay. it is an all-timer. Well, like in the in the world of like, you know, cut forward like 20 years from now. Like, I, I feel like that scene is going to belong next to things like the penalty box or the Sub Rosa conversation in the world of like just absolutely head scratching Star Trek conversation moments. Well, yeah, I know it sounds strange, Cam, but I'm in a penalty box. But guess what? <laughs> Tears are permitted in a penalty box. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my next one is one that I think is super fun. Uh, and it definitely threw me, which is the Enterprise episode, Through a Mirror Darkly, where you have the restaging of one of the most dramatically wonderful moments in Star Trek, which is like the first contact with Zephram Cochran and the Vulcans. And then he shotguns <laughs> them down and we get the alternate opening music, like the Mirror Universe Star Trek music. And I mean, what an amazing intro, completely catches you off guard. At this point, like, they'd never messed with the credits before, so it also felt, like, just absolutely nuts to be doing. I thought this was Star Trek having maybe more fun than Star Trek has ever had with itself. And, I mean, the surprise wears off after the first time, but it's still so much fun to go back to. It's the only two episodes of Star Trek in which none of the main characters appear. You know, of course, the main cast yeah. appears, but only as their mirror versions. Like, the prime versions never appear in this episode. And so I almost feel bad. I feel a little guilty that this might be my favorite episode of all of Enterprise, despite the fact that it has nothing to do with the uh, ongoing adventures. But, Camp, this episode is too much fun, and we kick it off with Zephram Cochran grabbing a shotgun <laughs> and blowing the heads off peaceful Vulcans. 
You got like it, 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 like Mad Max Fury Road, like electric guitar, like the the great doof like playing in the background or what have you. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, th- this is how you start an episode. Yeah, and I want to give credit to a friend of the show, Scott Hardy. I was telling him about this topic we were going to be tackling uh, this evening, and he right away was like, you are going to talk about the Enterprise opening. And I was like, oh my God, that's genius. Of course I have to talk about that one. Um. We've got maybe like another one I, I want to tackle. Maybe a couple more if you want to do lightning round as well. But uh, I, I keep hating to harp on season two of Star Trek Picard. But when, uh, <laughs> you know, Picard knows he needs a little help from Guinan, you know, fetching Q. And her response is to grab a big bottle of liquor, <laughs> chug it until she lets out the biggest belch I've ever ever heard depicted on television mm-hmm. and that creates kind of a mini earthquake and guess who comes walking down the stairs um one guy who looks identical to a time traveler as featured in star trek voyager but who in fact is just an fbi agent played by the same actor and nothing's ever made of this and q does not show up until the next episode and he comes late but not to the bar he somehow makes his way into fbi uh field office in los angeles in the in the basement there as well and it just all adds up to like wtf are the writers thinking like i think it's one of those moments where like okay guys we've got like 90 minutes to write the script before we start filming give me what you got right now it's one of those moments like i mean i remember watching the red letter media um breakdown of picard season two and they played that Guinan burping <laughs> moment like over and over again. <laughs> they would just constantly cut back to it. And it is one of those moments that just, it, it's funny because like we've talked about, say like a crazy moment in an episode, or, you know, of Star Trek that, you know what, it falls within a season. Crazy things happen over the course of a season of Star Trek. You go back to TNG, throw on, I don't know, season four, you're going to find a moment somewhere in there that you just go like, what were they thinking? The fact that there was so many of them peppered into 10 episodes of the second season of Picard is really amazing. I just don't... I'm sure we will see worse seasons of Star Trek at some I point. I think we will. I, well, I, I think I, as soon as I said that, I was like, will we? Will we actually? I think that's very difficult. Like, I think they'd have to actively try to make a terrible season of Star Trek. That's true. Okay, yeah, you, you know what? You're right. But, like... I think of like a bad season of television. I recently watched Secret uh, Invasion, the Marvel show. You know, I watched that a little while back, but absolutely awful television and completely boring to sit through. The thing about Picard season two was like, it wasn't just that it was like bad television. It's that it was like crazy television. And that is, that is a special quality and something that's pretty in, it's in pretty rare supply. Okay. Um, do you want to do a bit of a lightning round, or do you have another one that you want to kind of dive into a little deeper? Um, I could just, I think, do lightning rounds for the last couple, because they aren't as maybe uh, requiring of extended conversation. Okay. Jump into it, sir. Okay. Well, the first one I will say is an original series episode. It's the Omega Glory, and it is the reveal of the Declaration of Independence at the end of this episode. I remember just being, like, absolutely stupefied when this happened, and... It's funny, like, you know, you look at a movie like Planet of the Apes with the Statue of Liberty reveal, which is just so impactful, even when you know the twist. And this is that done horribly. And this is a uh, a real stinker of a Gene Roddenberry script for this one. And I just remember being completely, absolutely baffled as to what I was watching when this happened. Uh, Klingon boobies. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't know yeah. who this show is for. I really don't. Uh, mm. You know. Uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, in, in which we're, it's been depicted at first as sexual assault, but then we find out later it's just normal lovemaking among Klingons? Cam? Yes. What What is this show? It's, it, it, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't even think the writers know. I don't think they have a clue. Uh, yeah. This was a very bizarre moment, and yet these are the days when uh, Discovery was a more exciting show to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another one I had was the reveal of Ducat having had like a Bajoran makeover in the episode Covenant. Uh, definitely did not see that coming. Kim, I kind of want to ask you this question as we wrap up here, though. But did Strange New Worlds deprive itself of a real easy WTF moment? I, I, I'm thinking about the crossover episode uh, with Lower Decks and uh, we uh, the, those old scientists, of course. Yep. Um, 
like the problem here was that we knew that a long t- for a long time that there was a crossover episode coming. It was in all of the publicity and it like they wanted to emphasize like we are doing this and, and i get it because there's cross promotion opportunities here and all that i think part of the problem though is like what if they just kept that quiet and what if the episode did not start out animated as we saw here mm. like what mm. if the enterprise crew is on a planet and suddenly a starfleet officer played by one jack quaid who has purple hair just manifests out of this time portal and that would just be such a wtf moment for audiences and maybe what they could do is you know that moment that he's in the sick bay um then maybe he could have kind of a flashback in animated form setting up like how he got there in the first place i think that would have been like one of the biggest wtf moments in star trek history had it played out that way yeah, this was an interesting one where they could have really, I think, engineered a lot of surprise with this episode. But, I mean, even before they were, like, promoting the season, we were seeing them at conventions and they were, like, just dropping that one right away. It was like, people, we want the word out there. This is going to be happening in this upcoming season, even before the big promotional push happened. Um it's, I think, noteworthy to me that, like, they really marketed the hell out of this but kept Subspace Rhapsody quite quiet. So I wonder if they almost saw like, you know, kind of flash the crossover in people's eyes and then surprise them with uh, Subspace Rhapsody. Well, I think we knew that there was a musical episode coming up though, right? I don't think we did. It was like looking at the title and people started realizing that it seemed very likely to be a musical episode. I think we knew though the week before it aired. Like as it was coming up. Like, But I, I think yeah. even like before the, uh, I think we knew like, before the week it aired like i i think maybe what took us by surprise is kind of the uh publicity art that had kind of appeared the week before it aired but i think there were rumblings that there was going to be a musical episode uh coming up in the season I, i'm not saying like episode one they're like hey yeah we're on the publicity tour there's going to be a musical episode i think maybe oh maybe a few weeks in there were kind of there were some rumblings of that just and who knows i, I could be completely confabulating that yeah, I mean, my memory was there was a lot of fan rumbling about it, but I don't think they were as um, overt in promoting it um, up until pretty close to when it was airing. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I don't think they were as overt, like, promoting it the same way that they were this, uh, the Lower Decks crossover episode, Those Old Scientists. Yeah, so. Yeah, I remember Scott Mance in Las Vegas. Scott Mance was wearing a t-shirt with the artwork on it as well. So at that point, everyone knew before it had aired, but uh, yeah. Well, we had watched, we watched it in Vegas. We did, yeah, yeah. And I think it was, like, it might have, I'm trying to, I don't know the timeline anymore, but I'm wondering if Scott Mance was wearing that shirt before or after the episode aired. Oh, that's actually a very good question. Yeah. Uh, we have to go back in time. Yeah. We watched it, what, on, like, because it, it aired on a Thursday? Is that correct? And we watched it, was it Saturday night? I think something like that, yeah. Yeah. And I watched it, I, uh, I, uh, drunkenly stared. <laughs> Out the, the window. <laughs> we were in Vegas, Cam. Uh, I did, I did rewatch it upon returning home, and I got a whole lot more out of this episode than I did that, uh, that night in Vegas where we got into a group and, uh, watched it, uh, in this group setting. That's right, yes. <laughs> so... Uh, overall camp okay you got to pick one of your uh wtf moments that you shared this evening what what's your biggest wtf moment here that i of the ones that i picked um i think i'm just going over because like the sukal one i did have on my list but you mentioned that one so i won't i won't take that one but i would say that that one is definitely at the top for me but i will say of the ones i named i think i'm gonna say the gerardi musical number because it just, to me, like represents the absolute insanity of that season. And that season is the biggest WTF, uh, WTF in all of Star Trek. The biggest WTF moment of this particular subspace episode was when you thought Gerardi was lifting car batteries out of uh, vehicles and <laughs> sucking the juices uh, straight up there. Um, I guess like the biggest WTF moment that I picked out myself. Like, I know what you're saying about the Sukal thing. That was such yeah. more of kind of a... Uh, 
was it a moment more than like a very very long sad realization on the part of audiences that uh, this is what it's been building up to uh for me yeah. if i just have to say moment i i'm talking about boiler's butthole i mean that's okay that was something that just in in the moment it made me go what the f yeah i would love to say the wesley Corre moment that will live on with me but i just don't feel like it's I mean, it's kind of an insignificant scene, ultimately, in the scheme of the show. Yeah. Whereas, like, some of the other ones, I think, are just more prominent and will stick with me for that reason and stand out as much more glaring WTFs. Okay, well, yeah. sir. There we go. We'll do this episode. We'll follow up in another eight years on WTF <laughs> moments number three. And at that point, we'll have gone, like, hologram. So this episode will also seem as archaic as the uh, episode 12 does when you go back to it now. <laughs> we will be appearing in your living rooms as you uh, are on uh, VR sets and have intravenous food being pumped into your uh, bodies, listeners. <laughs> we'll be like those holograms in, like, season one of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> uh, which holograms? Do you remember they had the holograms like and then we were like debating like about holograms versus view screens and it wasn't until pike showed up on the oh. ship and was like get rid of the holograms right 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 i like how we fast forward 1000 years and they're like yeah we still don't like holograms we, we like view screens yeah that's a wtf moment right there it is yes okay so if you enjoyed listening to this podcast we want to hear from you jump on over to the facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod you can also find us on the twitter I'm at Cam V as in voracious appetite for car batteries, Smith. <laughs> and you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O as in orgy. R-T-O-O as in orgy. <laughs> N, N as in naked orgy. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Orgy.